Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain. And welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? Very, very well, Scott. Just learned about a certain parade that's happening tomorrow. And I think there might be a few million people making plans for that. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> well, as we talked about yesterday with uh, the one only Mike Griswold with Gartner, what a special experience playoff journey uh, season yeah. and the huge significance to the city of Atlanta. So it's really cool to see one last question. Are you going? I think so. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I think so. Uh, I just got the information on what the details are and the top secret code to get into the stadium, which I will share with you and only. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I feel like part of the club now. Hey, but uh, more importantly today, Greg, Beyond kind of reminiscing about uh, game six and the playoffs, we're going to be talking about modernizing e-commerce yeah. fulfillment operations. How about that? We're going to be featuring one of our favorites, a repeat guest, old James Malley from Packer. Everybody loves James, new sitcom coming to NBC this fall, I think. And he <laughs> he's bringing a friend, Jerry Spence with Crate and Barrel, yes. which we enjoyed the pre-show. And Greg, according to Amanda, and all of her research, Crate and Barrel is one of the world's most admired brands. How about that? I have no doubt. You know, I've done a little work in that industry in the in the past, the long distance past. But um, yeah, they're a highly respected company and really strong performers. Agreed. And they fill up our kitchen, which Amanda reminded me. So I think our team was excited for this conversation here today. Hey, really quick, because we want to get to James and jerry very shortly we're going to say hello to a few folks and we're going to do like the lightning round hello are you game greg go go <laughs> okay crystal davis is with us today crystal we look forward to you being back with us on the show very soon have enjoyed your linkedin lives peter bolet hey peter is a movie star now he was on the sourcing hero podcast oh. with our friend kelly barner greg. oh that's right i saw that i haven't tuned into that one yet but i saw that that happened I I'm adding that to my weekend review list. So Peter Bolet all night and all day. That's awesome to see. Kyle Garcia. Kyle, hope this finds you well up in the Portland area. Go Braves. I'm with you there. Nerf, Greg, what would you share with Nerf this morning? Welcome back. <laughs> you know, I'm he's curious not, why he's back. Not, I mean, back well, as in, in why he was ever gone. So that's what well, I want you to share with us. You didn't have to do it on the air, but I have to. So Nerf, you got some reporting to do with Greg one-on-one -on -one perhaps, but hey, regardless, we're glad you and your sense of humor are back with us. Let's see here. This is uh hello from Memphis. I've got a couple guesses who this is, but Clay and, and Amanda, y'all tune, uh, let me know there. Hugo from Mexico via LinkedIn. Great to see you here, Hugo. Hey, Hugo. Our team is in Guadalajara, so maybe we can connect them all up. We sure need to. Kevin Bell, where where has Kevin been forever? Greg, we haven't he, used his quote in way too long, have we? 
you and I'll let you share it. It is possible to take advantage of a situation. No. Uh, take advantage it's, of an opportunist opportunity without being opportunistic. Is that right? Kevin, you got to correct some, me on that. Yeah. Kevin drop that in there. Uh, Kevin is quite, does a lot of work as an attorney in the supply global supply chain space. So that is really cool. Uh, so great to have you here. And of course, diesel is with us. Diesel, diesel clay, diesel Phillips, because his motor folks never stops running. I'll tell you what, he put some strain on his motor on, on Tuesday night. And, but he's recovered like a lot of Atlantans did. They may have taken the morning off on Wednesday. <laughs> well, hey, hopefully not once in a lifetime, but it was richly deserved, richly deserved. Well, so far, it's once in a millennia. So, <laughs> and that was Jake, by the way, Greg, Jake from Memphis. Oh, a great, Jake, Philly, yeah. Jake, great to have you with us here today. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you. We've got a home run panel here today. I want to move fast and I want to welcome in James Malley, CEO with Packurate, and Jerry Spence, Director of Engineering Supply Chain at Crate and Barrel. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, Jerry, James. How are we doing? Doing well, thank you. Very good. Thanks for having welcome me back. Aboard, James. You bet. Well, we had a great time in the warm-up. In yeah. fact, we almost were late, Greg, because we were enjoying James and Jerry's company so much, huh? Well, we may have been doing a little shopping at Crate and Barrel too, but yeah, <laughs> all of that, all at once. So before we get into the heavy lift, we're going to start about talking with Jerry about supply chain tech and how it's evolved. And and But before we get to the heavy lifting, I got to share this wonderful picture that we got from James' team. And this is James and his family at Halloween, ketchup, mustard, and that's just the cutest little bottle of relish you've ever seen. Sweet relish, too, as it should be. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. We got to save that for a whole different discussion. But, James, I love this. I love uh, such a great dad activity here. Tell us really quick, James, and then, Jerry, I've got a question for you. James, what was the highlight of your evening here? Uh, well, so I live in Brooklyn, so we were kind of walking around amongst like really hip people and we were not winning any, uh, maybe coolest looking <laughs> costume awards, but, uh, our son didn't care. He, he was just, he, once he figured out that he raised, he could raise a bucket and get candy in it. Um, he oh, was I love, it. love it. All right. So that begs a question. I appreciate you sharing James. When you share a picture with us, you know we just have to share it with our our family here. <laughs> Jerry, question for you. We had a, a neat pre-show conversation around this, and I think you and I are kindred spirits to some degree. But tell us, what's, what's your favorite aspect of Halloween? Kids' excitement, right? Like you said, we're kindred spirits. It's not one of my favorite, but seeing the joy on my 7- and 5-year-old running around, getting candy they want, and just playing with their friends all dressed up, it's it's a joy to see kids smile mm. in any circumstances and see, and see my two young ones with my, my travel with, with work. And, you know, we all travel a lot with work sometimes. So those moments are special. It's nice to be home for them, but yeah, just the excitement. And then obviously getting back to the house and we all did this when we were kids, right? The negotiation. Right. What can you eat tonight? <laughs> the negotiation, what you can eat. And then also trading with the siblings, right? Yeah. You know, I'll give you two packs of Skittles for your Kit Kat. <laughs> so that's, that's the, the, the bargaining is always, uh, always fun and entertaining. I love that. All right. So Greg, I bet you won all the candy as a kid. That's my hunch. I don't recall that. Honestly, I, I don't remember, you know, there, we always went in a huge pack and it would be pretty hard to stand out as a kid. 
my favorite time, much like Jerry, was going with my kids and maybe with a few adult treats uh, along the way <laughs> as the kids were, were running to the front door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So much more there. So much more there. But we're going to keep driving for the, the time being. It's a joyous time for all, Scott. It is. A time. <laughs> just just pack an extra cooler, an extra uh, red wagon. and That's right. It. All right. So we could probably have a lot more fun uh, talking candy and candy negotiation, as Jerry was talking about. But let's get to supply chain technology, right? One of the hottest spaces on, in the universe right now. And Jerry, I want to start with you. I know we've got limited time. I know you've got a bunch of things going on and a hard stop. How have you seen supply chain tech evolve over the course of your career? Yeah, so that evolved dramatically for me. You know, when I first started in the industry, it was, it was fairly manual and it was okay to be manual. You know, a lot of paper processes, things along those lines. And I'd say over the last, you know, I'll just round it up and say 10 years, the labor market's getting more difficult, keeping staffing's becoming more difficult, costs are increasing. So the automation and the technology has to ha keep pace with that. And that's the biggest thing I've seen is from a technology standpoint is being able to transition between different associates, but also limiting the associates required for certain aspects, right? I don't think you'll ever be able to eliminate the human element within, within our business, but you definitely can limit the impact of individuals within our business. So that's the biggest thing I've seen just from software to just mechanical hardware items, interfaces with, with different technologies. It's all to limit the amount of people required to run the system. And, mm. you know, that's, that's the biggest thing I look at is how can I make the associates life easier, but need less, less associates to manage the work, right? We always have mm. doers, but as, as a, as a leader in our, in our company and in, in the industry, you know, we have to be able to make that happen and continue the, the workflow given all the crazy we're going through. Right. And yet the last couple of years highlight that with, if a one associate goes out because they're sick, now you have 15 associates out because they were exposed. That cripples businesses, that cripples operations. So I need to develop an operation that can adapt with the technology support to be able to take those peaks and valleys of, of people in and out of the building. And I think that's the biggest steps I've seen us be able to handle and do is overcome those obstacles. I love that, man. You're coming in hot today. It's like you're bringing a bunch of Kit Kats to the conversation. I love that. James, coming to you next. Respond. What'd you hear there, Jerry? Say or weigh in on what, how you've seen supply chain tech evolve. Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting, particularly with uh, large organizations, the technology that they've been leveraging. Even the past five years, there's been more emphasis on kind of microservices. Even, you know, working with startups a lot more who are like hyper specialized in one, you know, specific thing. Whereas I think in the past, maybe like five, 10 years ago, the kind of modus operandi was to just get one platform that did everything like kind of good. But so you, you now today, you know, in just the last few years, this has changed. Um, you start to see more sort of specialized tech being integrated. Very nicely put. Uh, and Greg, your thoughts? Well, you know, one of the things aside from tech specifically is the shift in technology from being completely cost minimization based to handling other optimizations, things like brand equity, sustainability, supplier compliance. Um, I mean, Accurate is a great example of sustainability. You try to put 
as much as you can in the most efficient way in a in a box that minimizes packaging, which I know we all share the same frustration for all that excess packaging. So that to me is the big shift. And the other thing, and we've talked about this before, I think we talked about it sometime before this week. And, and that is that automation and autonomous are now mandatory, right? It's, we don't, we don't need, as I think we said, when we were talking to, to Mike Griswold with Gartner yesterday, we don't need to apologize for taking anyone's jobs. Most of the autonom autonomous and automation in the marketplace is for jobs that people don't want now anyway, right? That people have retired from and the new generations don't want these jobs. So it's really a significant paradigm shift there. I said it, oh my gosh, consulting days coming back. <laughs> in that there's nothing to apologize anymore for anymore because those, those jobs might never be filled again if they're not filled by automation. Right. Well put. Uh, all right. I'm going to get a couple comments here from our audience. Peter, going back to Halloween, said we had one youngster, maybe three, walk up to the graveyard we built. And he said, love the lights. I'd like some treats, please. With such a smile and confidence that made their rainy night awesome. We're Kevin all going to work for that kid someday. That's right. <laughs> I bet that was James Malley back in the day. <laughs> Kevin Bell says, you got it. The pursuit of opportunities by companies without being opportunistic. Well said. And then finally, more to point what we're talking about here. Peter says, I started with an inventory oh, card deck system in the 70s. Two-card system, yellow for inventory levels, and a two-sided green or red card. You could, you could see through a hole in the top right corner for all good. If green or red, if on order and out of stock, we would pull the red green card and add our recommendation to buy for procurement action. Now, Peter probably is on his phone as I'm trying to decipher exactly what he is sharing there, but it paints a picture, right? We've come a long way since these, these card punch systems, huh? Well, I think that speaks to the advancement in technology that Jerry and James are talking about is the first technologies were essentially an automated card X. They didn't even really do any optimization or economic analysis. They just represented that on a computer screen. Actually, right. it was all in it was all in one color then. <laughs> hole or no hole? Screen. <laughs> really quick. Where, yeah. Where's the hole, right? It was buy now or don't buy now kind of thing. But technology's come a long way so that it can say you can wait two more days to optimize, you know, to optimize your economics and 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 minimize your risk of out of stock by preempting stockouts as these days and a whole lot more. So, I mean, I think that goes to how the manual processes that Jerry was talking about evolved into rudimentary and then ultimately very, very advanced technology. Well said. And I think D David's back with us here. David, great to see you here today. I think he was agreeing with you one of your earlier points, uh, Greg, about uh, how the job market has evolved and how we've got to embrace technology unlike ever before. But, more to going back to you, Jerry, what I'd love to, you know, we've talked about kind of evolution. All three of y'all have, I want to talk about current opportunities because, you know, there's always opportunities. There's, there's never a finish line and innovation and, and real continuous improvement. So what are some of the opportunities you see in the warehouse for technology to still improve where it hasn't yet? I would say interfacing with the actual people using it. So right now we're, we're actually in a opening a new building out here in Illinois and you know, the change management aspect, because of the learning curve sometimes associated with that. So really getting an interface with the user that's easy to understand, easy to navigate. You don't need a PhD to do it, right? 
you know, I consider myself a decently intelligent human being and I, and, you know, just trying to get through streams, I struggle sometimes. It's, it's really making the software or the technology for the people using it. Right. And I think sometimes it's forgot. Let's, they over-engineer things. They make it so fancy and beautiful. It's not really actually usable. So really getting that piece of equipment, that technology, the software down to what you actually need to be successful at your, what you're trying to use it for. Mm. You know, we, we run into that a lot of issues. It's like, that's great. You can do that, but I don't need all that. I just need A and B and not C through Z. Mm. Well said, James. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's sort of uh, representative of the state of a lot of emerging technologies because a lot of it's super exciting, but doesn't have the same kind of sophistication that maybe a B2C uh, product might, where they're putting pouring a lot of resources into making sure, you know, they're doing a ton of testing on the people. I think, you know, not just supply chain, B2B products in general, uh, will have to start paying attention to uh, the humans in the equation uh, if they want to succeed. So Greg, coming to you next, it's not just exciting, as James says, it's super exciting. Right. So <laughs> Greg, what's, what's your take here? I think that's, you know, the user experience is absolutely critical. You know, one of the things that I think companies should target more is enterprise class capability, but with app simplicity, right? I mean, it, when I think of some of the early innovators in terms of user experience, I think about, and for those of us who struggled in accounting class, I think about QuickBooks, where if you wanted to pay a bill, it looked like you were writing a check, right? If you wanted to create a PO, it looked like a PO that you would just have written down before. So I think those that kind of experience, and to James's point, you have to really study the persona, the goals of your users, you have to make sure that technology is always accretive, never a hindrance to the process. It must be out of the way, right? Not in the way. And hmm. I think that's a little bit of what Jerry was speaking to. And it is too often the case. Too many options are no option at all. And in fact, it has kept some of the best technologies in the history of supply chain from being used at all. So, hmm. and particularly as thoughts around user experience and, and UI uh, change with new generations, again, coming into the workforce, they expect it to be simple. And frankly, it should be. Computers should do computer things and leave humans to do human things. I like that. T-shirtism. That's the third one here today. <laughs> I got to bring in Crystal's comments here. She says, Jerry is spot on. It is important to present the data information to the user that helps them to manage at a glance and to make effective real-time decisions. Crystal, awesome. Love that. Okay. I want to circle back, Jerry, before we move into the technology integrations in the warehouse and some of the cool things you are doing with Packurate, anything else to add in terms of the opportunities that exist here today? I'll give you the final word here. Opportunities that exist today. You know, I, I just think as we, we continue to build DCs and, and create relationships and all those things, it's going back to just, it's about the people doing the work. It's about our customers. It's about people doing the work, you know, and finding partners that we can work with well. You know, James is, was a, when we got introduced to him, uh, his company's phenomenal. They, they, they helped out a lot and I'll get into why we went with them in a little bit, but opportunities is just continue to push forward, right? Not, there's no status quo right now. The sky's the limit, right? I think the last year and a half has put such a highlight on how important supply chain is, you know, how important that truck driver is 
that some of these jobs are forgotten about. People don't realize what it takes from that click of the mouse to something get in my doorstep. And mm. people are starting to see all that and see the, the nuances, the intricacies, how difficult our jobs actually are. People like, you know, my wife, for example, she's a school teacher. And well, what do you do? Don't you just pick something, put it in a box and slap a label on it? And it's, it's not that simple, right? There's so much more that goes into those things. I, I'm excited for how the industry is under the, the, the mic microscope right now because so many people are excelling. There's so many companies out there. And I feel supply chain is just going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to evolve. And there's a lot of smart people in the industry. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the next five to seven years look like with the technology, the interfaces, how buildings are designed, right? From designing buildings five years ago to how we design buildings now, night and day difference, right? Love it. And, and that's and that's what I, I'm excited for, honestly, is, is just to see how we evolve and continue to service our customers the best to our ability and, and get our product across all brands, not just Great and Barrel, but everyone to our customers in that timely, safe manner. Jerry, you got us ready to run through the wall back behind me. Uh, I love what you bring to the table here. So in your limited time left with us here, I want to touch more on, you know, as uh, Evelyn says in the comments, there's always opportunities. In particular, as we've seen the last couple of years, there's, there's new opportunities to partner and collaborate for real bottom line impact. So tell us, Jerry, we'll stick with you here. Tell yeah. us a little more about your partnership with James and Packurate. Yeah, so um, open up a new facility. One of our biggest things is obviously packaging. And, and Greg mentioned sustainability. It's a huge thing Crate and Barrel takes very, very seriously. And we're, we have a ton of initiatives to, to improve that across multiple different aspects, right? So one of one that we wanted to attack that we had the opportunity was, was with our packaging and, and our outbound shipments through Ecom. And, you know, we, we had some glowing recommendations for Packurate. Uh, so we met, we talked through, and, and really what we were trying to do at Crate is exactly what Greg described. I want to put as much as I can in the smallest box possible and ship it safely and effectively. And, you know, we had our own internal logic that we used uh, that was developed, but really it, it, was, it was a home run across the board. Crate saves money. We use less dunnage. We use smaller boxes. And we were sustainable with that. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a really slam dunk. The software fit really well within our, our system. You know, one of the, the, the features they also did was, a, was an awesome analysis for us on what boxes do we need. We carried too many. And so they were able to say, mm -hmm. hey, Jerry, based on your order profiles, this and that, they actually we were able to remove boxes from our inventory, which is also a great thing. We're using less dunnage, ordering less, you know, all those things. So for us, it was for the customer, it was for sustainability. And then, you know, I'll say the last added benefit was we, we saved a little money. Hmm. I bet a lot of folks and a lot of businesses out there could relate to that prior state prior to that partnership. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the challenges you shared there. Hey, before let's talk about James as if, as if he's not here, okay. Greg, yeah. because a lot of, <laughs> a lot of what Jerry just shared there, what we've heard in previous conversations with James. So Greg, what what'd you hear there from what Jerry shared? Well, I think the most encouraging thing I've heard, and I continue to hear this as uh, I do research and, and talk to companies in the marketplace is cost saving was the last, not the first consideration of what Jerry and Crate and Barrel were trying to accomplish, right? And I think that is a critical shift in supply chain in general, because this has largely been a cost saving exercise, frankly, at the expense of everything else, including resilience and agility, which we're now talking a lot about in the supply chain. And of course, cost saving 
often comes at the expense of due diligence around supply chain, around human capital, fair trade, non-conflict, all, all of those kinds of things that now people and consumers are very aware of because they know what supply chain is. You don't have to explain it every time you sit down with somebody. You just have to mention the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. And they're like, oh, <laughs> so I think that that is as encouraging as every as anything is that not only not only our sustainability and and consideration for the humans who are in the process and are the, the, the consumers who are humans in the process as well, but that cost saving is now recognized as just one of the risks, not the primary goal of supply chain. That's such a great call out, Greg. Great call out. Um, and unfortunately, uh, our time with Jerry is just about to come to an end. James, I'm going to get you to weigh in on y'all's partnership. And, and, and Jerry, we'd like to hear what you think about Jerry. Did <laughs> <laughs> I say Jerry? I mean, uh, James, we'd love for you no, to no, weigh no, in. No, no, no. We want to know what James thinks about Jerry. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, I don't want it uh, to see seem like I'm, I'm sucking up to Jerry <laughs> in public here, but just on this point, working with him and his team was incredible. We were, you know, embraced and and thrust right into the sort of problem solving environment. And Crate's really amazing at, you know, there wasn't a lot of like politics. It was like everybody was there to solve problems, and it was really it ended up being really fun. Um, you know, through the through the problems we had to solve and through, you know, kind of celebrating the wins and stuff. So. Jerry, thank you for, for that opportunity as so well. So what I heard there, Jerry, and, and we want to make sure folks know how to connect with you in a minute. And if you, if you want to throw James' phone number <laughs> out there. But hey, but Jerry, seriously, what I hear there is cultural. You know, it, it seems like to me, hearing you talk earlier and what James just shared there, the culture at Crate and Barrel leans into these challenges to find ways of not just, as Greg said it, not just finding you know, bottom line savings, but what's most important for our consumers and our employees? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a good partnership. The team, I'll, I'll call us scrappy, right? And I think that's one thing about mm -hmm. any distribution center, any supply chain, you know, you're, you're solving problems on the fly a lot of the times and trying to get good partners who you all come to the table. There's no egos. There's not, there's no other, you know, agendas. It's just, here's our problem let's sit down and let's talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. And I think that's what this partnership was. We came and said, here's our issue, please help. And they brought their A game. And they, like I said, they really helped us out. And, you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback from our associates doing our packing operations that it's going really well. Right. And that's the best part. It was a successful project, but yeah, it's, it's all about the partnership. It's all about just coming to the table with an open mind and just creating that awesome team environment and building relationships. Love that. Okay. So Jerry, now that we're out of time with you and folks stick around, we're going to, uh, we're gonna have a little after show with James and Greg here momentarily, but how can folks connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Link LinkedIn is probably the easiest way for me. So just send me, hit me a note, send me a letter, whatever you want to do on LinkedIn and, and I'll, I'll reply. So that's the easiest way for me to get hunted down. <laughs> I love that. That reminds me of a old song. I'm going to have to think of that. I'll think of it and maybe sing it to Greg and James in a minute. But, hey, Jerry, you, really Jerry. appreciate <laughs> I really appreciate you taking time out of your yeah. crazy schedule to pop in with us for a few minutes. And uh, all the best to you as you get back eventually to uh, the hometown, Livermore, California. Yes. 
Yes, beautiful wine Thank country out there. So Bay Area, trust me, this cold weather in Illinois does not uh, agree with my California, <laughs> my California juice. So I, that's right. I appreciate the time. I appreciate the conversation. You guys are awesome. Um, I look forward to hopefully uh, getting back here someday with y'all. Sounds awesome. good. Thanks for All coming right. in, Jerry. Appreciate Thank it. Big thanks, Jerry Spence with Crate and Barrel. Man, that was awesome. I really enjoyed. It's in his bones. Did y'all? You could. As he was describing, not just y'all's work together, but how they get stuff done at Creighton Bureau, how they innovate, how they move forward. Man, he could be marshalling a big old band of troops there, Greg, across the Atlantic, huh? Yeah, well, I think that goes to why Creighton Barrel is a highly admired company, is they perform, they always have, and frankly, are one of the leaders in e-commerce because they started out back in the day when it was called mail order. So... <laughs> They have, they have, unlike some of the prior, whatever you want to call it, top companies in mail order, have, have really made the transition well. And both their retail operations and their e-commerce operations are top, top notch. And they have the right spirit, right, which is to serve the customer to do it in, in a responsible way. And, um, and lastly, right, to bring as much profit to the bottom line as they can. So well said that enthusiasm that you see, that's not like he didn't put that on for the show. He, he's just like always like that. And it's super contagious. Um, so I was, I was glad uh, you guys got a chance to meet. Outstanding. Him. All right. So we're going to move on to the second half of our live stream here today. We got another half hour with James Malley. Yes. Everybody loves James. James, I'm going to ask you a heavy hitting question for starters, uh -huh. right? This is going to be a heavy hitting question before we get to the rest of your market expertise. What we all want to know is were you channeling Hunt's ketchup or Heinz ketchup in this in this costume? That's we gotta know which one. It's a good question. You can't see because the our hats are kind of out of frame, but they're kind of lopsided. You know, like if you go to a hot dog stand, there's those ketchup <laughs> oh, yeah. bottles. So whatever generic, you know, secondhand ketchup uh they put in those bottles, that's probably the what we were. But not catsup. Clearly, not certainly, not certainly not. And if anyone can tell us the difference, I would. Love <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. Mm -hmm. I, I worked for Cisco Foods way back in the day, and part of what we do is we do cuttings between brands, right? Especially as we were trying to serve our customer the best, right? Mainly independent restaurants, and I never really thought about it growing up. But man, Hunt's Ketchup and Heinz Ketchup, which are probably the dominant two brands in, oh, in, in the U.S., yeah, it is night and day. Hunt's is so sweet. Don't get I, my hot dog has got to have a splash of no, no, no. Wait a second. I don't put ketchup on my hot dogs. What am I thinking, James and Greg? But it's give me that Heinz vinegary type ketchup. That's the only way to go. James, do you agree? Absolutely. I, I agree with everything you oh, say. Man, so. how about that? Man, maybe, maybe uh, Greg, we'll have to bring James on a little more often, huh? Uh, <laughs> turn the tables a bit. Hey, all right. So let's get us, let's get past ketchup for a second. Uh, I want to talk more about this. Uh, James, I think this is your third appearance with us. And we've really enjoyed you being a part of our streams. And also sometimes in the, in the sky boxes, uh, we all are big fans of Robin, Greg and, and Greg, White had a great conversation with Rob and Greg in a previous episode of Tequila Sunrise. James, tell us what is the latest with Packard? What's going on? Why is it a thing as, as we were talking about? <laughs> Why is it a thing? Yeah, so just, just for some background, we're, we have a class of software called Cartonization. So if any, anybody in the audience is familiar with 
that. It's not a word in the dictionary, unfortunately, or load planning software. We're, we're kind of in that space. And I guess in the context of our, our previous conversation, uh, Pacurate is kind of a, a modern answer to that relatively legacy kind of approach to containerization. It's not in a dictionary yet, you know, and it's no. not. I've been writing them letters. <laughs> Webster. Yeah. They don't well, you return. know who corners the market on all things dictionary and encyclopedias, Funk and Wagnalls. That's that's the folks. That's the duo you've got to reach out to. Is that right, Greg? Funk and A. Um, <laughs> oh, man, nice. All right, so, Greg, when it comes to Packard, with what you heard just there and what we heard from Jerry and previous conversations, why do you think James has seen so much momentum? Well, I mean, it's, as he said, it's something that's time has come. I mean... We did a, practically a whole show, Scott, about our frustration about all of the excess pass, packaging that we got last holiday season, which, by right. the way, doesn't seem like it was nearly a year ago. And I think that, you know, that there's so much emphasis on e-commerce. Of course, that's been a huge accelerant today. There's so much awareness, as we just talked about, by the consumer uh, to this kind of waste. It It's the right time for this and stunning frankly, that it, that it hasn't come before. But I think, I mean, and, and James, you got to check me on this, but I think both the data availability and the technology capability are finally here that allow us to do it because this does take, this does take a lot of dimensionality. It takes some, uh, some artificial intelligence and a boatload of data to figure out all the possible configurations of, I mean, it's like Jenga in a box, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like automated 3D Tetris. Tetris. Yeah, that's right. C certainly on the data side, uh, even five years ago, um, companies were not, you know, they were trying right. to do it, but they weren't taking it seriously. So even if they had dimensions or other data, maybe it was there, but it wasn't what we would call healthy. Um, there are a lot of errors and stuff. Just in the last few years, you've seen, you know, just so these companies can make use of a lot of the emerging tech, um, have really gotten serious about putting processes in place and you know analysis and all, all these things to make sure their data is healthy. And I just want to mention because you called out sustainability when we were talking to Jerry, um, and this is maybe more of a personal observation. I, I may be a little bit cynical as a baseline. Um, and when we first started, you know, we were getting advice like you know lead with uh, cost savings. That's all anybody cares about. You know, sustainability. That's like nice for PR, but they don't mm -hmm. care. They don't actually care. And I'm pleased to say that that's so not true at all. Um, these huge, you know, retailers, there are people there in decision-making spots that really, really care and don't have a plan for how to turn it into a marketing. Mm, yeah. They're making decisions based on this now. Now, supply chain is a good space for that because, you know, sustainability is correlated with cost savings. So it's, you know, in some other industries, there may be some challenges trying to say, okay, this is better for the earth, but it's way more expensive. But that said, I just think I've just been so encouraged by the honest enthusiasm. Um, in that honest area. enthusiasm. That's a great thing. It's like you read my mind, James. I was going to ask you what, if that, or and if not sustainability, what was the primary driver of people using this? I mean, clearly there is cost savings in it, right? And, and clearly sustainability. So I was curious if that really took the four outside of crate and barrels. So that's really fantastic to hear. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's a, you know, it's the new generation of leaders in that, in those positions, public companies, you know, if there are people that want to do sustain sustainability mm -hmm. initiatives, they're getting support from the C level because the shareholders care now it's now a totally mainstream position. So the shareholders are putting a pressure on um, these companies mm -hmm. as well. So I think it's all kind of converging and it'll end up being the industry standard to do these things. And I think more and more companies are starting to recognize that brand equity comes from things like doing good as well as doing well. Right. And they recognize the longer term impact on profitability of the fact that you cut out, cut out a huge percentage of the marketplace from buying from you. If you're not a, if you're not a socially environmentally responsible company. So, uh, that that recognition has come is is good and you know I you know me James I am a little cynical I always follow the money and I want but you know I've, I've always encouraged consumers to vote with their wallets vote your principles with your wallet and that will drive the companies to do the things that you want them to do right so on that note I want to go back to something you said a minute ago James but first David says everything james in terms of agreeing with scott on everything that could be a very dangerous <laughs> statement i agree david not as dangerous as agreeing with me on everything <laughs> that's probably really which, true which we already know james doesn't so that's good <laughs> so james you've been in this space for around 20 years i think that's what we've said earlier in in logistics in supply chain almost 20 years i think you were just talking a second ago about the advice you'd gotten when we, you were founding the organization and how that ended up not being what you see, you've seen out in the marketplace. When, when did, give us a timeline. When did you found Packard and how long ago was that? I, I didn't, I didn't what know a what visionary. supply chain was. I know I was, um, not, yeah, not the most popular high school. <laughs> No, um, but look at us now. Look at us now. There's a song. How do you like me? <laughs> yeah, how do you like me now? No, uh, my uh, business partner Pat Powers. He's a, a brilliant engineer, and we started working in supply chain tech. I think way back in like 2012 or something, 2011, and you know, managing um, implementations for shipping software providers and. Um, we actually built a full-blown shipping system at one point, and I think it, you know, it was the prototype for uh, a, a product that's still out today. And we got kind of tired of that life, like running around putting out fires all the time. And we saw, you know, people, you know, shippers were asking for something to help them pack beyond just like putting a post-it note on the warehouse wall saying, "Use this box for this." And um, yeah, we were lucky enough to have relationships with shippers because of our prior work and um, spent the first couple of years refining the, you know, the engine, which, uh, you know, eventually turned into something that we would consider to be artificial intelligence. And, you know, I would say 2020 and when the pandemic came is when uh, it became a critical issue instead of just like a, a nice mm -hmm. thing to have. Um, and so we've really just been doing our best to keep up with, you know, supporting big customers like Crate um, as the, you know, costs increase and, and sustainability becomes more of a concern. Love that. Okay. And Santos, you've got a great comment here. I'm going to, I'm going to share this. This is something we talked about earlier on earlier shows, not necessarily with James, but others. Santos via LinkedIn says, great talk. He'd love to understand how social sustainability of suppliers could be ensured so that no kids are involved in the manufacturing of the very toys meant for kids. 
That is a great point. And that's, you know, fortunately, James and Greg talking about things that have come to the surface here in recent years. You know, and we talked about it just yesterday, Greg, slavery and industry, uh, even trafficking, you know, that thankfully is finally getting some meaningful action to eradicate it. So um, a lot of things kind of coming to this intersection. All right. So James, along those lines, that's a good segue. So Santosh, thank you for making the segue for us because we want to go broader, right? We've talked a lot about, you know, packaging a particular uh, sustainability, um, how that uh, certainly how that plays a part. We've talked about the Packard story a bit, certainly the crate and barrel story. What else when you look, when you survey, you know, global business, certainly global supply chain, what else are you tracking right now, James? Well, I'm kind of a nerd. So <laughs> I, you know, I follow a ton of uh, technology as it's developing and, you know, things that run alongside us sometimes are robotics, augmented reality. And those are things that, while it's very exciting, they're still in their nascent stages. And this Kind of a throwback to the usability thing we were talking about but like augmented reality like in its current state do i want a thing like hanging off my face telling me what to do i just think they're they're representative of something really useful and really human centric that can be in the warehouse beyond that i've been interested in you know where where the investment money is going venture capital uh, has been you know pretty generous this year i think $45 billion have been put into logistics startups compared to $34 billion last year. So if you want to kind of guess at the, the, the sort of collective investment thesis that these investors have and what they think the future of supply chain looks like, um, I think looking at where they're putting their money can tell a pretty interesting story. Greg? It's true. I mean, honestly, I was doing that research this morning and writing a paper to the limited partners of one of the VC firms that I'm working with. And we're seeing by the middle of this year, just in supply chain technology identified largely as SaaS software as a service type technology, over 50% more invested by the middle of this year than the highest prior year of investment ever in supply chain. And at valuations that in some cases are 100% higher than they than they were in the first quarter of this year. So, you know, the value among the marketplace is recognized in supply chain tech and investors are plugging their dollars into that to, to capitalize on opportunities, opportunities without being opportunistic. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely, finally, I feel like finally, because I have been in the industry since you were 16 and probably sick, frankly, James. So it's been kind of a frustrating, slow burn to get to the point one, Scott, where supply chain is recognized, end of sentence, recognized, appreciated, not looked at askance and, you know, and actually is in the forefront of the minds of, of uh, C-suite and other executives. And finally, they are making the commitment to technology that can change their business for the better and change the world likewise for better. Yep. Supply chain can save the world. Whoever said that <laughs> is not wrong. Right. Lots of folks, right? Lots of folks. I think that's, that's where we are and, uh, it, and, and really out of necessity, right? Based on what supply chain does every single day. Yeah. So James, I got, I got to tell you when you said you're going to, you're a bit of a nerd, and you were talking about 
things hanging off your head that were going to tell you what to do. I went straight to the Borg, the Star Trek Borg, and I thought that's what you're going to go where you're going, James. Are you a are you a science fiction fan? You know, I've never admitted it publicly, but yes, yes, I am. That's a big What's move. your? It is a big move. Thank you. That's the transparency you, you get yes. with James Malley. So, what are you? So, is it Star Wars? Is it Star Trek? Is it something else? What What is? What's your? You know, top of the list. I think Star Trek, uh, because of my age, Star Trek Next Generation was probably my intro and got, you know, where my love of sci-fi comes from because watching it every, you know, Wednesday or whatever it was after uh, 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 Full right. House. <laughs> I don't know. Jason Bateman, uh, right? Is that Full Oh, no, no, that's not yeah. Full House. That was, uh, that's the twins, right? Yeah, that's the Olsen twins, right. yeah. But Anyway, that, that's a, that's a whole other live stream. I think if you want to get into that. Love that. Well, Hey, the technology, who knows? We've seen, we've already seen personal communicators come to fruition, right? We're working on teleportation, man. We figure out teleportation. That, is, that would be huge for the supply chain. Obviously. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Right. Wouldn't it? I, I'm okay. thinking of the port of long beach right this moment with Gosh. teleportation <laughs> instantaneously solve that problem. Right. You don't even need it would containers then. My, health. Uh, good for James health. <laughs> it would not be good for my waist size, I guess. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I got I want to pose this question we get from Santos here, kind of on a different topic, uh, kind of with a, with an eye on the crystal ball, you know, and, and certainly uh, the short-term future, but I would argue going into 2020. So Santos, and appreciate you being engaged with us and being in the skyboxes. He says, uh, should retailers exercise hedging in anticipate uh, anticipation of supply chain crunches ahead of any festive season. And Greg, I want to come to you first sure. and then I'll circle to James. Um, I started my career with a, with a principle and in inventory that was essentially hedging forward buying. And um, to answer the question, it's too late for this immediate festive season, but absolutely any peak in demand, they absolutely should assume and this is, again, one of the cynical mantras that somebody gave me when I was early in my supply chain career. Assume that everyone will fail you. Right. And the more you do that, the better off you'll be in your supply chain. So you have to find those points of fragility, identify the risk thereof, and and um, adapt, assuming that that fragility will break next time through the supply chain. And, you know, there are statistical means of doing that, of course. But, but yeah, I think you have to anticipate much, much earlier. The truth is, in a lot of cases in retail, the goods for the U.S. Christmas holidays land in June, you know, and that they didn't in some cases this year has put us way behind the curve. And in some cases, those goods won't be available for the holidays. Right. And we've already talked about that. So, yes, they definitely need to plan ahead. They should do so economically as well, because I don't I don't agree with the Federal Reserve. Here we go, James. This will be something we can talk about. <laughs> I don't agree with the Federal Reserve that in, inflation is transitory, unless by transitory they mean for the next two to five years. Mm. So I don't want to fight with you, guys. <laughs> but right. I mean, you know, you, you have to hedge against inventory cost and risk of fragility right now, unquestionably. I just bought um, what otherwise would be four months of coffee, hoping to get past the issues that are currently occurring in that marketplace. And I can't right. remember what else I bought. I forward bought on something else. <laughs> Soap, deodorant, 
underwear, perhaps, Greg? No, but it feels like I've been foregoing on toilet paper since March 13th okay. of 2020. Well, hey, uh, really quick, on a more serious note, uh, Santosh mentions the festive season. I was uh, so happy, Diwali, to everyone out there that celebrates. I was reading a little bit about the history. It's an intriguing history, Diwali. Uh, but one of the cool themes, one, one of the common themes, uh, one of the many common themes that make up the holiday is celebrating the triumph of good over evil. And gosh, if that's something we all can't get around and celebrate, celebrate our own Diwali, I don't know what we can. So uh, happy Diwali to everyone that celebrates this special time of year. All right, really quick. I'm coming to you, James, but I want to, I got to reference a couple of these. T squared says the next generation forever. Oh, and it was on Monday. So T squared, thanks for, for bringing in a little Star Trek into the conversation. I think also a fellow, fellow founder, T squared. Um, we need yeah, to, so tr- we need to connect up. <laughs> yeah. We got to get y'all hooked up, uh, James and Lee Klaskow, one of the, well Best yeah. in-demand transportation and logistics and beyond analyst. Uh, he of Bloomberg Intelligence and one heck of a live stream guest. Lee says 3D printing is today's teleportation. He ain't okay. Wrong. He ain't wrong. James, so going back to the question Santosh initially had about hedging in anticipation of supply chain crunches ahead of any festive season. Any thoughts on your end there, James? I'm going to defer to Greg's answer and completely dodge the question. You should run and for office, maybe, James. <laughs> yeah, in a truly uh, politician-like way, but just sort of tie it to our earlier conversation and say, I think the trajectory of supply chain technology can tell us that in the future, and it might be 10 years, it might be 20 years, But all of the the funding that's going out there, all of the innovative routing technology, analysis technology, we're all headed to a place where the entire supply chain is linked and visible to everybody. Uh, And that's going to sound a little next generation idealistic, I think, probably to some of your very smart uh, audience members. But resistance is futile. Futile, That's James. right. You will. We are Borg. <laughs> you will be integrated. But I think that you know. Just think of a, some pr- a practical example. All these you know trucks coming out of the port of L.A. You know they're going all across the country, in mo- even to Florida, and in most cases they're coming back empty. And so I mean, it's clear. I think of every problem through the lens of like usable space uh, because of what we do. But but just think about you know how our entire supply chain could change. If you didn't need to worry about hedging because you you've got products here there and the you know you're doing last mile assembly 3d printing you know all we're all headed to a place where a lot of these questions that we're struggling with today could be answered by you know an, uh, an amalgamation of uh, of this tech that we're seeing emerge i like that james and greg speaking of songs i heard james just reference imagine all the good people dun, dun, dun. what song is that lennon the beatles Imagine, right? right? Yeah. Oh, imagine. You mean the song Imagine? Yeah. Yes. I couldn't quite look. Coffee has kind of killed my throat this morning. And I'm I'm really, I'm a bad singer anyway. For being transparent. Thank you, James. Uh, You're too kind, way too kind on the air here. But hey. uh, Containers. (laughs) That's right. Imagine a better day. A better day. It's true. Because that, look, kidding aside, and and it'd be cheesy for a minute, you know, reimagining what the art of the possible is, is a big part of 
real innovation, not innovation of the innovation centers that everybody plops out there that's part of the marketing exercise, but making supply chain happen differently in a way that not only serves the consumer, as Greg and James and Jerry spoke to, but also serves the team members, the employees, also serves the, the planet. And that is, that's the table stakes these days uh, between those three, those three and others' voices. Okay, James, we've had a wide-ranging conversation here today, wide-ranging, right? We, we rubbed elbows with one of the most admired brands, I think, on the face of the planet. We've talked about Star Trek. We've talked about ketchup. We've talked about packaging and, and doing packaging in a 2021 or maybe 2030 version as opposed to 1982, Greg. We're going to pick on 1982. Thanks. <laughs> we always pick on that year. I'm not sure why. But, James, how can folks connect with James Malley and the Packard team? I'm often in the audience during Supply Chain Now streams giving quips and, and heckling Greg. Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, LinkedIn, I love chatting with anybody about supply chain stuff, particularly e-com fulfillment. So please reach out. Otherwise, Pacurate.io is our website. Wonderful. Uh, so we're, we're keeping, Greg, Greg, go ahead. Can I ask one final question before we start to please. wrap here? I'm yeah. curious, and, I, and James, this is totally out of the blue from mm -hmm. an investor's mindset. So where, where are you in your, if, if we talk about stages, we did talk about where, investors are investing but where are you are you are you raising right now if you did raise would it be a seed or an a round or what what where are, would you yeah I, in terms of we are raising right now uh in terms of what to call it it's a bit odd because typically a seed you have an idea and then you take the money and you go see we have customers so uh we're calling it a seed though um because we think there's a lot more we can do um in the future that's cool Und undoubtedly undoubtedly james we've enjoyed your appearance today we've enjoyed your your uh pre our previous chats together do anything really exciting this upcoming weekend is, it, is the weather started to turn up in brooklyn uh it has it's gotten a little a little a little chilly um so getting out the door takes an extra 10 minutes of wrapping the coats oh, yeah. over the kid but yeah other than that no just hanging out i just hang on to that sweet relish thing and you, you, you Plop that thing on and make it easy. It's almost like just scoop him up. If you ever miss summer, just put on those costumes again and find someone with a hot dog costume. That's right. Or just stand next yeah. to a hot dog stand and give a very disapproving look whenever someone grabs a ketchup to mustard. Hey, uh, all right. So we've talked about uh, James, uh, his weekend in Brooklyn, and of course, Packer.io for more information. Also, connect with James on LinkedIn. He's a, he's a great follow slash, you know, some folks really believe in the social aspect of social media and James is, is one of, of those great folks. So uh, connect with James Malley there. Greg, you are wearing a shirt with double H on it, which could be a har is harbinger, harbinger of things to come. I probably mispronounced that, but harbinger. Yeah. Uh, harbinger. I'm not going to be spending any time down in Hilton head. Oh, oh, so this is Helly Hansen. So, oh, it's things to come. Yes, sailing possibly in Hilton Head. Yes, James, if it gets oh. too cold, come down and see me. We, we <laughs> can argue right. in much better weather. 
<laughs> over adult beverages in a red wagon. Now that everything's come. Usually everything becomes an agreement after a couple of cold ones. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, folks, hopefully you've enjoyed this wide ranging conversation as much as we have here. Big thanks again to, uh, let's see here. James Malley, of course, from Packer, but Jerry Spence yeah. with Crate and Barrel. James and Jerry, gosh, that, that threw me for a loop kind of throughout the hour here today, but really enjoyed our conversation. Of course, big thanks to everyone that showed up in the skyboxes and, and everything, all, all the comments and questions. Santos, great questions here today. Hope to see you uh, on Monday for the buzz. Uh, Peter Bolay says it's almost 32 degrees up in, he's in the Montreal area, right, Greg? Yeah. Yeah, 32 degrees, man. Celsius, that is. so not much above. All right. Way, big thanks to Peter and everyone else who joined us there. Big thanks to Amanda, Jada, Allie, Clay, all the folks that on the production side that helps make these live streams happen. Most importantly, folks, on behalf of our entire team and James Malley, hey, we're challenging you to do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. On that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.